Welcome to From the Bibliophiles, a science podcast discussing how storytelling succeeds in communicating difficult science concepts. I'm your host and interviewer, Kenna Castleberry. If you're a new listener, you can find our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitchers, and many other places. Be sure to give us a five-star review if you like our show. And if you enjoyed today's episode, like it and share it with your friends. This podcast is a great place to find new book recommendations, so it's always fun to see what's available. Today's episode features one of my favorite interviewees, Dr. Katherine Harkup. Katherine has written three popular books that combine science and literature. For my background as a double major in English and biology, these books are perfect and some of my favorites. Katherine's books include A is for Arsenic, which discusses the poisons in Agatha Christie novels, Making the Monster, a book discussing the science behind Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and Death by Shakespeare, focusing on different deaths within the famous Bard's plays. Catherine also has a new book out called Vampirology, which discusses the science of vampires, including Dracula. You can find out more about Catherine's work at her website, www.harkup.co.uk. That's H-A-R-K-U-P co.uk. Now for the interview. So my first question is a, just going to be kind of a basic broad question for you. So how do you pick your literature that you're going to write the story around? So like Agatha Christie or Frankenstein, like how do you pick those and then say, I want to go deeper into that? Oh, I think I pick books that I know and like for a start or I suspect that I might like and I I do a lot of reading to judge whether there's enough science to actually discuss because although you know I love the books my background is science and I want to use the book as a vehicle to discuss science as much as I want to discuss the literature and the knowledge of the person who wrote those books. So I, I read quite a lot, and you find books that you think, oh yeah, yeah, there's something in there. I, I could I could talk about that quite a bit, and um, so then I write a proposal, and if my publisher agrees with me, then I do a heck of a lot more reading. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. So clearly this genre, I don't even know what to call it, but this type of book that combines science and literature together is very, very unique. Yeah, I don't know of many people who do this. I mean, there are people exactly. who write about, you know, history of science, history of medicine. There are people who write about literature, but there's there's not many people writing about both. Right. And um, so I was going to ask, like, how did you determine to write in this sort of vein of making it really appealing to both the book lovers but also the science lovers? Um, it's slightly devious on my part because I want to, I love science and I'm a bit of a sort of evangelist about it. I want as many people to be enthusiastic about science as, as possible. So a sneaky way to do that 
is to pick a topic that people love, which is basically how to kill people or dig up dead bodies and reanimate them. So gory stuff. And then, you know, when I'm faced with a room full of teenagers and you say, oh, I'm going to talk about science, you can watch them shut down. They're not interested. But if you stand up and say, I'm going to tell you how to kill people, they pay attention and you can sneak in an awful lot of science around popular subjects. And I also want to try and break down a little bit of that barrier about, you know, there are people who do science and there are people who do arts. It's a nonsense. You can be interested in both. So I'd like to combine them wherever I can. That's absolutely fabulous. I like that. So I'm curious for your research process for each of these books. Did you have the same one or how how exactly did you go about researching? Like I'm curious for um, A's for Arsenic for Agatha Christie's book. Did you have to read all 22 or 23 books that she has poison used or did you? Oh, I read all 83 Okay. Books. <laughs> and then and then kind of determined from there which ones you wanted to use? Yeah, pretty much. I, I had some help. Some people have actually gone through and listed some of the poisons that she uses and what books they're in, so I could narrow it down. But actually, I wanted to go through everything, because even if she doesn't make poison the focus of that particular plot, quite often she has very subtle references and asides in the background. So I, I wanted as big an overall picture as possible so it was quite literally I went to a secondhand bookstore with an empty suitcase and asked them to point me towards their Agatha Christie section and I basically cleaned them out um, so <laughs> I love it I, I, trund I trundled home with my suitcase full of Agatha Christie's I read all of those and then you start reading books about real life crimes you know poisoning cases as well as uh, scientific works on you know, physiology, poisoning, uh, toxicology, things like that. And you, quite often you read one thing and that sparks an idea and you go off and read something else and you end up with you know, a huge reading list and you try and narrow it down to what is relevant to what you're trying to write. That, that makes sense. Did you find anything interesting in reading all 83 Agatha Christie novels that you weren't expecting. <laughs> I was, I'd read a lot of them when I was a teenager. And I think when I went back to them, I was a little bit worried that, you know, I, they wouldn't quite live up to my teenage enthusiasm for them. So the thing that I liked most was rereading them and appreciating just how good they are. They, they survived my, my teenage enthusiasm and my adult skepticism. They are brilliant. They are. She's, <laughs> she's easily one of my favorite authors as well. That's why I picked up your book originally. So yeah, I mean, there's a reason she's one of the best-selling authors ever. Exactly, exactly. And you do a good job of, of showing that she's done her research, which is helpful as well. Yes, yes. So switching gears and, and going over to your other book of Making the Monster, I'm curious, since you probably, if you're very thorough, and it sounds like you are, looked at the entirety of Mary Shelley's life and clearly have written about it, I'm curious if there was anything very surprising that you weren't expecting. I know for me as a reader, I was very surprised that she based the main character off her husband. But again, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I'm just curious for you as a researcher, what, what was interesting? What was surprising with that process? 
actually, it was a bit different to Agatha Christie because it is surprising that a 19-year-old woman with no formal education writes something like Frankenstein. I mean, that is extraordinary. And as far as I know, the first full-length novel that relies entirely on science for its fiction rather than sort of magical incantations and spells and, you know, supernatural. So the fact, you know, finding out how she knew all of this stuff and the fact that she lived at the most extraordinary time and had the most incredible group of friends and acquaintances throughout her life that was quite extraordinary you know listening to Coleridge recite the rhyme of the ancient mariner himself in your father's study must have been incredible but also you know having all of these exciting scientific discoveries happening throughout your formative years that you can capture that enthusiasm for science but quite apart from all of that Mary Shelley herself is just an extraordinary woman an incredible survivor absolutely badass she's just amazing so my appreciation for her went through the roof the more I found out about her oh absolutely that definitely makes sense in your research what, so as far as, you know, researching for this book, did you clearly, you know, you're talking about reanimation and that sort of thing and probably found some interesting cases on body snatching and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what sort of the weirdest case you found was. There was a case in London, I mean, and most of the body snatching went on in London and quite a bit in Edinburgh. Obviously, you don't want to draw attention to what you're doing because it's borderline illegal, but it is massively unpopular. So you you want to be discreet. So they wrapped up bodies quite carefully. They kind of took packing cases and they mislabeled stuff and they would like leave it outside an anatomy school's back door. So it was all very discreet. And there's one anatomy school that one evening they opened up its back door to find a package outside and they opened it up and it was full of wool and cheese and ham and it was basically someone's grocery delivery. So somewhere else in London, someone was expecting balls of yarn, cheese and ham and actually got a dead body. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah, that was the most surprising. And we only hear about, unfortunately, the only bit that's been recorded is the delivery of ham and cheese. There is no account of whatever poor servant or person picked up this dead body thinking it was their grocery shopping. Oh, that's... (laughs) So that was quite surprising. That is... Wow. That... I'm just floored. But that's... That's very funny as well. And you can just imagine what they were going through. Yeah. So you talked about having... Your Shakespeare book is... You said it's being released or it's newly released? It's released on 5th of May in America. Okay, perfect. So I'm curious, I haven't clearly read the book, but I'm curious, like, what Shakespeare play was the most interesting for you to research for that? Oh, there were quite a few that I wasn't very familiar with. So it was really nice to actually get to know all of his work. And there's obviously... We study it in school and I'd seen quite a few and I'd read some, but uh, there were ones that I just knew nothing about. So there was The Tempest, 
The Tempest, I knew virtually nothing about. I'd never seen it, I'd never read it. So I sat down to read it for the first time and I absolutely fell in love with it. It's amazing. And then the more and more research I did about it, I thought it was just an extraordinary play. But this is the joy of Shakespeare. The more you read around Shakespeare and understand more about what was going on in his life and the context of when it was written, there are all these amazing references to things like malaria and disease. And I found that fascinating because malaria as a disease, we don't really think about it much in the West. We probably should, but we don't because it's not common anymore. But in Shakespeare's day, Malaria was still a thing in England and it killed lots of people. So all of these subtle references would have been easily understandable by Shakespeare's audience, but we've kind of lost that along the way. So it's really nice to, it's almost like getting insider knowledge, having the inside joke uh, and getting all of those clues. That's what, that's one of the plays that it was most apparent for me. Sure. And, you know, this book is newer, but I'm curious, as far as moving forward, do you have an idea for your next novel? Or are you still reading books and trying to find the one that kind of tickles your fancy? Oh, I am midway through writing one, and I have a deadline for another one. So the next two books are lined up at the moment. And I'm already, I have post-it notes all over my office of ideas of what I could write about. I'm never short of ideas. They're just not always very good. So if I just keep generating them somewhere in there, there might be a good idea. So the one I'm writing about at the moment, I'm looking at the science of vampires and if vampires could exist and and where all of these stories in literature and films come from. And the book that I will write after that will be basically all the ways to die in James Bond. 